name is Carl Johnson. I am Joe Average for all writing purposes, but I'm a millionaire. My wife and I are millionaires. We're multi-millionaires. I don't drive a nice car. I live in a nice house, but it's nothing compared to some of the houses these people live in. I have some land. Our cars are pretty old. I have one a pickup truck. I do have a Rolex watch. It was something that I wanted, and I got it when I had a, a good deal. I had a deal go through, and I rewarded myself. Hey, we're back. My name is Carl Johnson. I'm with the, I am Joe Average Millionaire, and I'm looking for all the other Joe Averages out there that they want to be millionaires too. Uh, we, I'm talking about the 150 plus things that I have uh, discovered or learned in my time. Uh, my wife and I have used these things to become successful and wealthy. But let's go over the previous things that we've done. Uh, in the previous episode, number six, and you can go back to the other episodes there. They're good, but I just want to go over the previous ones. Number 12, green, yellow, and red conversations. Very, very important. Helps you keep on track. Uh, number 13, use passive income to pay off your doodads. That's a Robert Kiyosaki term, doodads. And number 14 is understand what passive income really is. There's a lot of confusion out there as to what passive income is. Okay, so let's go on to the next part, number 15. And this is episode seven. And these are in no particular order. So they're going to get in and out of, of these are as I put them down, as I wrote them down, as I was brainstorming. And I keep adding to the end of the, of the, uh, of what we have. So it was 140, now it's 150. So it keeps going on. There's some really, really good stuff. So, okay. Episode number seven, save and number 15, save at least 30% of your income. You know, they talk about saving 10%, giving 10% to charity and all those things are really, really good. And, and I agree with that. I think those are just minimums. You should save as much income as you possibly can. People do not understand the cost of what retirement is going to be. Uh, just take a look. If you want to save for a retirement, just pick up a calculator and think about what the cost is to retire. Um, if you want a million dollars at retirement and you're living a $100,000 a year lifestyle, that's 10 years and your money's gone. That's just a million dollars. If you're not making them, if you're making a hundred thousand dollars, how much money are you going to have to put away just to save that million dollars? When people actually sit down there and calculate how much money they really need to retire, it's mind boggling. It's like, you know what? If you don't start from the very beginning, you do not have a chance of saving the amount of money you can to retire. So I think at minimum 30%, and you got to put away six to nine months worth of income for an emergency. Most people don't have $400. They got to put $400 in a credit card if they have to go to the emergency room for their kids. So 30%, 50%. I think, you know, if, if you put together a passive income, then you could save 100% of the income that you, if you live on your passive income, let me go back. If you live on your passive income, 
then you can put 100% of your personal income that you work for away. And you can start to, I, I don't like using the word saving and I don't like using the word investing. I call, I'd like to prefer to call it deployment. To how do you deploy your money? And the reason I like that term is because the word savings and investments ha have very, they're defined terms. The IRS even defines what savings and what and what investing is. Let me put it this way. People seem to have this idea that it's investing is better than saving because it's, 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 it's a cool term. But think about it. Which would you, uh, savings, they say, is putting your money away at some sort of low, at some interest rate, and you're guaranteed in savings not to lose your money. But investing, you can lose your money. So people always seem to go towards the investment side because of the idea. That's the idea of, of, of getting so much more money. It's getting that 20, 10, 20, 30, 40% return as opposed to invest or savings where you get one, two, three, four, 5% return. But let's take a look at this. When you invest and you lose money, so you make 40%, but you lose 40%, where are you? What's your net? So there's this struggle between safety, uh, savings, and investing. Think about it this way. What if you could get, by saving your money, you could get a 10% return, and by investing, you could get an 8% return? Which would you do? I'll say, I'll save 10%. I'll save and get 10% all the time. What if you could save 8% or save, let's say save 10%. Let's just pick 10%. You could save 10% or you could invest and get 12%, which do you think is the better opportunity? Because you got to realize savings, you don't get, you don't lose your money as opposed to investing, you can. So wouldn't it be better to take a 10% savings as opposed to an investment of 12% to receive 12%? You got to take a look at what the net return is. So, don't take a look at savings versus investing and say, my goodness, savings, so it's not as good or investing is not as good. Just, just take a look at it as, employ as deployment. I'm going to deploy my money somehow in some way, and what is my return going to be? And take a look at it from that point of view. That's, that's just kind of, I picked that up because I, I was riding in a pickup truck one time with a person in the real estate industry, and he called up a broker. And he was trying to call around and he says, hey, I've, I've got $20 million of clients' money that I need to deploy as soon as possible. I thought, wow, I like that word deploy. And it was great. So I decided, why don't we just use the word deploy? Because I think when we use savings and investing, you kind of, you kind of get a prejudicial, you prejudge what you're actually getting you can save and get 10% versus investing and get 5%, take the save, do the saving way. It's just there's an assumption that savings is just not as good as investing. So let's call it deployment. So that's number 15. Save at least 30% of your income. That means don't spend it. Maybe save 30% is not a good is a good way to put it. Basically, when you get money in the front door in one hand, how many people it goes right in the other hand and goes out the door to pay bills 
and things and live a lifestyle and you have $100 left over at the end of the month. They're not doing anything for yourself and your future. What it's really saying is put away 10, 15, 30% as soon as you can and put it somewhere where it doesn't disappear. Okay? But I mean, you should try to, to save 50%, but do try at least 30%. If you can't even do that, try 10. But I just, in my thought, in my mind was, I wanted to save at least one third of my income. So that was 30% or 33% if you want to do it exactly. Number 16, the government wants you to take every available tax deduction that you can. I think a lot of people are very afraid that the IRS is going to come knocking on their door. And when I had just a job, I really didn't need an accountant because I had very, very simple tax return. But as you move up and you start to get more sophisticated uh, ways of making money, you're going to have to start to uh, uh, engage client uh, accountants to do your work uh, and do your work for you because it's, it gets very complicated when you have a you know hundred page tax return as opposed to some people only have a one page tax return. And then if you include on top of that that you have LLCs and you have uh, trusts, every one of those is a separate tax return. And you're always going to be learning something. You're going to go in, you think you can do something some way, and you'll mention that to the accountant and the accountant say, no, that's not exactly right. This is really what it means. And so you'll learn as you engage these accountants and, and, and lawyers uh, to understand they're technically, they're really your counselors and you're paying them money to do this. So the government wants you to take every available tax deduction that you can. The government, the reason that Joe Average not Joe Average Millionaire, Joe Average doesn't get any tax returns except for his kids and his house is because they are the end user in the economy. The end user. What am I really, what are you really getting, giving, putting back into the economy as the end user? The money is coming out of, coming in one hand and either it all goes out back into the economy or it goes into some sort of savings. You're not building anything you're not adding to the gross domestic pot. What is that? GDP, gross domestic domestic product. Uh, you're not adding any value. You're just the end user, the bottom the bottom of the totem pole. So you're not going to get any tax deductions for that. And from what I understand, is that if you have a several kids and and things like that, uh, kids, and you're almost if you're under fifty thousand dollars a year, you're probably paying no income tax anyway. So the government wants you to take every available tax deduction that you can. And how do they give you those tax deductions? The government sees certain things as being valuable to the American or the economy, and they're willing to give it a tax deduction for that. And let me give you an example off the top of my head. If, the, uh, if you have apartments, which I have apartments, and I don't do any Section 8 apartments, but because it's, it's, it's tough to deal with the, uh, um, the government controls and everything with Section 8, so it's just easier not to do it. But if they came out and changed some laws and said, hey, you know what, we will give you 100% tax deduction or we're going to write off so much that you take a look at it statistically and you say, hey, you know what, 
with the amount of tax deductions that they're giving us on this, I, I, it's worth my time and effort to go out and do Section 8 housing. Of course, everybody's going to say, oh, that's a big loophole and they're screwing. But that's the only, that's the way the government helps and put forth the desire for people. You got to put it in their money in their pockets to go out and do something that they want to do. If they want every single person to drive an electric car by next year or two years from now, they'll say, hey, if you buy an electric car today, you can write 100% off of that this year. Well, you can write 100% of that off every year until it's paid off. So let's say you make $50,000 a year and you buy a $75,000 uh, electric car, then they will give you a tax deduction of that kind of money. So let's see if, you're, if the amount of taxes you're paying is, is you know, $20,000. I'm, you know, I'm not an accountant, but you'll just go ahead and pay that. So that gives you a massive tax deduction. That's because that's something that they want to do to push the electric car. Uh, and, and I'm just picking on that. I'm not saying there is anything electric cars, but I'm picking on something. So if I could save money by going and selling my other car and, and getting an electric car, and they're going to give me a reason to do it monetarily, then people are going to run out and do that. So that's because they're trying to get you to do things that they deem is good for the economy. And the other thing I saw that they're changed is, is the difference between tax credits and tax deductions, right? So, and, and that's a little more complicated, but in the essence, it's just a way to pay less and less taxes. Um, so if you have a question with, the, with, with your taxes, you know, you know, it is kind of complicated to look at taxes and do taxes, but, you know, you can always call up the IRS and, and have them help you do your taxes. I, I remember that's an option for you. And I remember maybe 20 years ago, I did, we used to have what they call the 1040EZ form, and I did my taxes myself, very simple to do. And when I was in the process of doing my taxes, I did a miscalculation on my taxes where I actually got less of a refund than I really did. So I'm instead of getting a $500 refund, I, I only I messed up and did the calculation wrong and I got maybe $100. And I turned it in without realizing it. And before my taxes came back, they sent me a letter and said, you have messed up your taxes and we redid your taxes and you're actually getting a $500 back. I'm just picking my scenario here. So I was like, how did I mess that up? So I went and I redid my taxes and they were right. So it's not like if you mess your taxes up, the government is, the, the IRS is not going to do it. They do your taxes, especially on simple taxes. The problem is, is when you get a very complicated taxing system that they can't possibly go through it all. And they may decide you may own a, owe something or you set up some red flags. But in the long run, you need to take as many taxes advantage as you can. And the other thing about that is if you do have an accountant, when the tax man comes talking to you, you can just refer them off to the accountant because a CPA or whatever they call them all now, these fiduciary CPAs or, and things like that, people like that, they're paid to know more than the tax man. And so if you don't have a, a person representing you, 
they may run roughshod over you. So if you ever, if you have an accountant, uh, it might be worthwhile to have an accountant just because if you ever do get audited, that you just say, hey, I gave all the information to my accountant and the accountant did my taxes. The, they'll, they'll converse with the accountant and, and they'll deal with it. And more likely than not, the accountant will have a better chance, much better chance of, of reversing what the IRS guy, tax guy is looking at than you ever would. And of course, number 17 now. Number 17 is understand debt and its risks. Wow. I'm not sure how many minutes I've got on here, but that one's a little bit of a longer one. Um, let me, it's very simple. There, if you talk with, let me go ahead and I'll save that one for the next because that's going to take me more than a couple minutes to explain. Debt and risk is very simple and I have like three or four explanations for that that could be that kind of, it's not just, hey, take care of this. It's, I have, a, 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 I've seen some things where some of the pundits talk about debt, good debt, bad debt, all debt is bad debt and things like that. So I want to take a little more time to cover uh, understanding debt and its risks. Okay. So everybody, Hey, have a fantastic day. I know we covered just two of them and the two are save at least 30% of your income, number 15 and number 16, the government wants you to take every available tax deduction. All right. And this is coming to you from Carl, uh, the Joe Average Millionaire. Later.